Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another installment of John and Frank's um, perspectives on uh, Region 6 OSHA. I'm very excited about our topic this morning. It's one that was personally selected by my law partner and good friend, John Surma. Good morning, John. Good morning, Frank. I hope that we can maintain the excitement throughout because OSHA record keeping isn't exactly the most exciting thing on the face of the earth. But oh, how could you say that? This is electronic submission, John. This is this is new age stuff coming into the 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 twenty first to carry us into the twenty second century. The twenty second century. I can't even think about it, Frank. At that point in time, you and I'll be older than dirt. Um, <laughs> in fact, we might be only identifiable as dirt at that point. This is correct. This is correct. But yeah, no, and and you know. Frank and I, as Frank alluded, you know, we are good friends and we are law partners. And, you know, we do a lot of chatting about what's on kind of each other's plate and, and kind of, you know, the, the questions that we're fielding and, and the issues that clients are having. And, you know, one of the things that have come up in, in for both of us a lot lately is this new rule that came into effect for 2024, which relates to the submission of certain electronic records by certain industry sectors. And, you know, look, as we're anticipating this winter storm to come as we're recording this, what better way to throw another log on the fire than to do a podcast about electronic submission of OSHA records? Yeah, a little something to keep you warm uh, when the cold winter winds blow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we've got uh, new record-keeping requirements that uh, we, we get to talk about. Historically, and not long in history, but historically, uh, in recent history, we've had a February 2nd reporting deadline. I want to start with that, John. What, what happened to the February 2nd reporting deadline for electronic submission? So this is a point of confusion for a lot of folks. So there's two deadlines early in the year relating to OSHA records. The first is February 1. And February 1 is the date by which employers have to post in the workplace their OSHA 300A. That's the annual summary of what happened the year before in terms of injuries and illnesses. And that's the one they must physically post. Correct. Correct. At the workplace. Absolutely. And and I we've kind of kicked this around we might talk about that prior to February so that in another podcast, that's the February 1 date. And then on March 2, for the last several years, employers with 20 or more employees in certain industry sectors, and that's driven by the NAICS code, have to electronically submit the data from their OSHA 300A form, that annual summary. So up until this year, those employers would post on their bulletin board, their employee notice, whatever it is, the physical 300A. And then by March 2, 
they had to submit electronically, whether they submitted the actual like a PDF of the form or alternatively, um, the, the injury tracking application um, would take data uh, in the form of like a PDF of or an image file. I'm not sure if it's PDF or, or some other image file. Um, they would allow you to create a .csv file or there's a way that you can actually input the data kind of line by line on the computer from your 300A. But that was all dealing with the 300A. So February 1, and thank you for correcting me, but February 1 is a physical 300A posting. Uh, March 2nd was an electronic 300A posting. But now we've gotten to expand on that a little bit. Correct. So in another set of industry sectors. So you have Appendix A, which drives the employers who have an obligation to submit by March to the 300A data. There's an Appendix B, which is other industry sectors. And in those industry sectors, employers who have more than 100 employees have to submit the OSHA Form 300, the OSHA Form 300A, and the OSHA Form 301s that are generated for the past year. And I say the forms, the data from those forms, whether they submit an image file, the CSV file, or do individual line-by-line entries. But again, that's only certain industry sectors, and it's only employers in those industry sectors that have more than 100 employees. So since I've got some cobwebs in my head this morning, John, let's just make sure that uh, that we're recording this clearly. It's uh, by March 2nd, employers with 20 or more employees that uh, have an NAICS code that's listed in Appendix A, those are the ones that must submit their, 300, their Form 300A information to OSHA. Yeah. Correct. And that's uh, all the listed employers with 20 or more employees. Correct. And there's a, a second requirement for employers with 100 or more employees that have NAICS codes listed in Appendix B. And so when we reference Appendix A and Appendix B, where are those appendices found? So... The appendices are appendices to 29 CFR 1904.4. They're actually a little bit hard to find, but if you search for electronic submission of records on the OSHA website and search for Appendix A, Appendix B, they pop right up. That's typically how I find it when I get those questions and I'm trying to figure out uh, if somebody's NAICS code is listed. Also, if you're looking for, if, if you're a company, if, when you fill out your uh, OSHA injury logs, you should know your NAICS codes. But if you are unsure, you can always go to HTTPS uh, colon forward slash forward slash www.n aics.com forward slash search forward slash and that'll get you there but in aics for those who don't understand my panhandle of texas accent uh, that's alphanumerics for um, november alpha india charlie sierra 
NAICS. The, the forms must be submitted by March 2nd. We're pretty clear on that. The forms of the information must be submitted. Uh, but there's uh, the, the other question we always get is about what information should be uh, redacted or protected. Can you talk about that a little bit, John? Yeah, thank you, Frank. So one of the issues with this data that's part of the OSHA Form 300 and the OSHA Form 301 is that it includes personally identifying information relative to the injured employee or the ill employee and their health care. And so as a consequence of that, the data that's supposed to be submitted and OSHA is very, very clear about the obligation to exclude this. And if you create this CSV file or if you do the online data entry, my understanding is, is that the forms don't even accept this data. But if you submit your forms in an image file, you need to re- redact, and, and for those that aren't familiar with that term, you know, basically blank out or, or black out the employee's name, their social security number, their telephone number, their home email, email addresses, healthcare provider information, and family member information. Um, well, and their home, I think home address, right? So yeah, that's right. Uh, I, 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 I said that. home email. I just want to make sure oh, that sorry. people listening, um, well, if they heard it the same way I did, just want to make sure well, they're clear. In, in case there's any unclarity, home address, and email address. So if for some reason or another, the form contains either or both, you're not to submit that. Do not submit that electronically. Correct. Now, there are a lot of ancillary questions related to cleaning up the 300 forms before they get submitted. And uh, I know you've had a lot of questions uh, about record keeping and how to record and and make sure that 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 form is completed correctly. Uh, We're not going to talk about completing the forms correctly on this podcast, uh, but we will, uh, we have plans to do so uh, in, in a, in a next podcast in relatively short time. Uh, But for those of you with immediate questions about some of the general recording criteria, you can go to 29 CFR 1904.7, and there's a good, that that's the regulation that OSHA prepared, and there's a good Q&A format through that that answers a lot of the questions that uh, we're fielding today. John and I will, uh, we have plans, uh, of course, the best laid plans of mice and men, right? We have current plans to try to go over the the most frequently asked questions that we get about that to try to help everybody out. Uh, but if um, for some reason you need to get access to that information more quickly or uh, if, if the, the creeks rise and freeze and we can't get back to our microphones, uh, it's uh, 1904.7 is the regulation you want to look at. To your point, that's really kind of a, a topic for another day, but one of the predominant questions I'm getting at this point in time, beyond kind of the, you know, what website do I use and, and you know, the, the sort of mechanical pieces of it is, you know, how do we count 100 employees? And OSHA is not real, real clear about that. 
but there is some guidance in some of the publications in the Federal Register publication that indicates the idea is at some point during the year, you had an entire employee count of 100 plus people. It doesn't mean, you know, let's say you hire people that, you know, work for a few days and leave, and that's just kind of your normal practice. And you have 200 people when you add up all those people. If you only had two or three people a day for the entire year, according to the, the, the published rule and the commentary in the published rule, that's not an employer obligated to submit electronically. It's only if on one day during the year, you had 100 or more people in your employee. And it only takes one day. One day. Uh, that's helpful. I'm glad you mentioned that. Happy to do so. Now, well, here's the frightening thing, Frank. Do you think the name of the website we're submitting data through, the injury tracking application, do you think that has any potential for any bearing on enforcement activity? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting, but OSHA's taken a couple initiatives, a couple of initiatives to try to be more strategic in their targeting instead of just looking at general DART rates, trying to trying to drill down and focus on data that really indicates an industry or even an employer that is that is having more injuries of a certain type uh, you know that's that's kind of part of their overall plan and has been for a few years while I am equally cynical John uh, you know I, I at least see this as as a possibly affirmative move to to try to focus on employers that are having a certain type of injury instead of uh, only because of their NAICS code. In other words, if it's a slip and fall, I mean, a, a trip and fall on level ground, it might not be a fall from heights. It might not be subject to one of the emphasis programs. And so maybe this helps some employers by eliminating them from an emphasis program or, or being targeted. I agree. I know that's unusually optimistic of me, especially in January, but hey, new year, new start. And my fear is that rather than being put to good, you know, that this is for employers uh, going to be the cause of a certain amount of headache. And I think that, you know, when compliance officers show up for an inspection, um, I think that, you know, they're, they're now coming in equipped with a significant body of information to allow them, to your point, to, to use their limited resources in a much, much more specific and much, much more targeted way. I absolutely see that as uh, a possibility and a likelihood. Look, I, I, I do think, however, that you know, rather than you know, like take the site-specific targeting emphasis program, I do think that that can be fine-tuned and will be fine-tuned to be more effective along the lines of what you've described. So if your DART rate's high, but it's a bunch of, you know, what would appear to be clearly, you know, kind of non-emphasis programs, you know, not, I hate to say not big deals, but, you know, not the sort of stuff where you're talking about people falling from elevations without fall protection, you know, they may take a, a, a second look at, you know, do we really include this employer in this program? 
Yeah, well, that's certainly my hope uh, that they that they do something along that line uh, to to maybe even reward uh, the the programs that are effectively um, preventing the the types of injuries that they're trying to target through SST yeah. or in, or uh, emphasis programs. Yeah, and Frank, and, and we've only got a couple of minutes left, so we probably need to shift gears just a little bit. Before we got going, we spoke, and one of the things that we talked about was the contents that might be considered confidential proprietary in this data and what an employer might want to consider doing relative to the data that they're submitting, particularly when you're talking about, you know, kind of the mechanism of injury and the location that the injury took place in. Would you like to give the audience just a minute or two on that? So we were talking about FOIA requests and, and, you know, public access to the information. There is uh, a limit under making a, a public information request for documents that are available through government agencies like OSHA. Uh, and that's confidential business information that can be protected if, if the, the proper if OSHA is properly alerted that you've got confidential business information in the record. But there is a possibility that people would be able to access, uh, and we're unclear what the possibility is at this point. We're still evaluating that. But there is a possibility that the public may be able to access some of the injury records that you're providing. And so as you're putting together your 301 or your Form 300, uh, you know, be thoughtful about the information you're you're putting in the descriptor because if it's confidential business information, uh, need to evaluate if there's a way to say it that might not reveal confidential business information, uh, but or if it does, then a way to highlight that it's confidential business information in the event that uh, that the public does make FOIA requests for the records that you as a company have submitted. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that, you know, there's going to be some challenges there going forward and employers are going to have to try to figure it out. And I mean, quite frankly, I think the agency is going to have to figure it out. I agree. John, it's been a great day visiting with you this morning. Thanks for your time. I think it is time for us to uh, to bid adieu. And um, and we'll plan on talking again uh, in in the next uh, week or so. Well, be safe in this weather, Frank, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.